The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. That really is how life usually works, isn't it? Rarely is the best saved for last. First, you're young and healthy and vigorous, then you grow old, and sickness appears and weakness. First, there's happiness and hope and optimism, then there's disappointment and regret and despair. First, there's trust and affection. Then there are broken promises and lost love. It doesn't usually happen in reverse. This is actually one of the laws of nature that scientists have discovered, that all on their own, things will become more disordered and more chaotic over time. If you don't work to keep up your house, you'll run into trouble sooner or later. Your roof will leak, your furnace will wear out, your pipes will burst, and a thick layer of dust will form on every surface imaginable. Things don't get better all on their own, but they sure do get worse all on their own. And if you put some effort into keeping things from getting worse, eventually it wears on you. You start to wear out. It's like trying to keep a big snowball from rolling down a hill. You can do it for a bit, but eventually, sooner or later, you and the snow will end up in a pile at the bottom of the hill. There's an ancient Greek myth about a cruel king named Sisyphus, whose punishment in the afterlife was that he had to push a large rock up a steep hill However, every time he neared the top, he'd lose his grip on the rock, and it would go rolling back down to the bottom. You don't need a mythical afterlife to see that in action, though. Anyone who's kept up a house has certainly felt that way about the dishes and the laundry and the diapers and the sweeping. They are tasks that are never finished. You do them just to keep your home from ending up in disarray. Because left all on its own, that's exactly what will happen. Things don't usually happen in reverse. The house doesn't clean itself. 
The furnace doesn't work better and better over time. The roof doesn't keep out the rain better and better. It's not usually the poor wine that we drink first and then the good wine later. Usually, it's the good wine now and the poor wine later. In fact, common wisdom is to seize the day. Enjoy life to its fullest now. Live your best life now. Eat well and drink deeply now. Be merry now because all good things come to an end and fade away. I just heard an interview on the radio with someone who's known as a happiness expert. One of the keys to happiness, according to this fellow, is living right now. You have 30,000 days on this planet, he says. 30,000. That's down to 20,000 by the time you're 30. 8,000 by the time you hit 60. You will never be as young as you are right now, he says. So seize the day. That sounds a bit gloomy to you, which it does to me. It is. It is gloomy. Happiness experts can't do anything to keep the clock from ticking. So instead, they tell you that that means you should live your best life right now. Your best bet at happiness is right now in this moment. It's not tomorrow. It's today. It's actually that very thinking that makes abortion such a lively issue in our day. Among the things that can get in the way of seizing the day is having a baby. Babies get in the way. They bring more disorder, more disarray. Just look at the parsonage if you want to find out. They interfere with living your best life now because they take all your effort. They wear you out, and everyone knows it. Having a baby seems to put you on a fast track to poor wine, both figuratively and literally. You can't afford good wine if you have babies. And so in an effort to keep the good wine for a bit longer, many suppose, and this is terribly tragic, many suppose that the best option is, in fact, killing their babies. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy of hopelessness. Maybe you heard the actress Michelle Williams' acceptance speech at the Golden Globes. She credited abortion with allowing her to accomplish so much and to be so successful. It's a tragedy of hopelessness. It's a story of desperately trying to hold off the inevitable for as long as possible. It's an effort to drink as much of the good wine now knowing that there's a day coming when all that's left is the poor wine, and eventually that will run out too. And so common wisdom says, seize the day. Live your best life now. Make even difficult choices now so you can live right now. All of this may have well have been on the minds of folks at that wedding party in Cana. And when the wine ran out at the party, it was just another sign that all good things come to an end. And at the close of the night, the party is over. It's just how it is. But when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the wine knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine but you have kept the good wine until now. The people at the wedding at Cana got more than they bargained for. Mary pulled Jesus aside to let him know that they were out of wine. It's hard to tell just what she was thinking. Whatever it was, it probably had little to do with the kingdom of God. This is such a trivial thing. And Jesus says so. What does this have to do with me? 
My hour has not yet come. A shortage of wine is not the problem that Jesus has come to solve. A shortage of wine is an inconvenience. At most, it's a symptom of the problem that he was here to deal with. It's like if you've got tonsillitis. So your tonsils are all inflamed and your throat is sore and you're having trouble swallowing and it's time for surgery. So you find a surgeon, but instead of asking him to remove your tonsils, you ask him for some sore throat medicine. He could give you something to make you more comfortable, but that's kind of short-sighted, isn't it? You don't need Robitussin. You need surgery. Jesus had come into this world as a light in a dark place to save his people from their sin. And now his mother was asking him to do this little side miracle to help the party. Woman, what does this have to do with me? He said. Now Mary's next words are the last words we hear from her in the gospel. And she couldn't have said anything better. Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Maybe she realized that she'd been short-sighted. Maybe she understood that this inconvenience wasn't the business Jesus was about. But in any case, she trusted that whatever he would do would be good. Do whatever he tells you. Now, Jesus is a good son. So he kept the fourth commandment and he honored his mother. And he told the servants to fill the water jars, and so they did. And he told them to take some of the water to the master of the feast, and so they did. Can you imagine? How nervous those servants must have been. Can you imagine how they watched anxiously for the master of the feast to realize that he was just drinking water? Not a very funny joke. It wasn't really their fault, but nobody ever really spares the messenger. Imagine their surprise then when the master of the feast was shocked and delighted with what they brought him. He was so impressed that he had to tell the bridegroom. And imagine the bridegroom's confusion. He thought the party was over. And now he's getting credit for this innovative idea of saving the best wine for last. Everyone in this story got more than they bargained for. But they got even more than they realized. Notice how John ends the gospel lesson. He doesn't say, this the first of Jesus' miracles he did at Cana in Galilee. Instead, he puts it this way. He says, this the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. Miracles are one thing, and this was a miracle, but it is also something more. A sign points to something. Mary thought she was getting a little help from Jesus to keep the party going. The servants thought they were seen behind the scenes to someone with strange powers. The master of the feast thought that he'd met a bridegroom who was clever and innovative. The bridegroom thought that he'd gotten out of a tough spot and avoided massive embarrassment. But what they all actually got was a sign. Signs point to something, and Jesus' signs point to death and resurrection. As marvelous as it was that he turned water into wine, much more marvelous is this fact observed by the master of the feast. You have kept the good wine until now. What Jesus does makes everything that came before seem inferior. He made the rest of the wine at the party seem like swill in comparison. You have kept the good wine until now. And that is why it was so important for him to say to his mother, my hour has not yet come. Because when his hour finally did come, 
Every miracle that he had performed up to that point would pale in comparison with his crucifixion. Even raising Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11 is like child's play, next to defeating the grave and destroying death altogether. What Jesus would do on the cross, although it would seem like complete loss and utter humiliation, it was, in fact, the victory and epiphany of his glory, the revealing of his glory. And here's the point for you. Everything in life seems to work the way the master of the feast expects. First the good wine, then the poor wine. First youth and health, then age and sickness. First happiness and hope, then disappointment and regret. First live your best life now at any cost, and then face the grim realities later. That's certainly how it appeared to everyone looking on as Jesus was lifted up on the cross. He was so full of promise, and we believed in him. But now he's dying. The sign of the wedding at Cana is this. Jesus saves the best wine until the end. By his death and resurrection, Jesus has rescued us from this world of decay. He has brought an end to the reign of disorder and disarray. He has come into his house which was ransacked by the devil, and he has begun to put things in order. He has begun to put you back into order. That's what Paul is getting at in our epistle lesson. He talks about wives and husbands in our text. And next he'll talk about children and parents and servants. He's talking about God's order for the world. As fallen, sinful human beings in a sinful world, all we can expect is disorder and disarray, for things to get worse and worse until eventually the wine runs out altogether. But Christ has defeated sin, the cause of every evil, and he is destroying death, so that the story of his kingdom does not go like every other story in this world. You have been redeemed. You have been set free from the disorder of this world, and now God teaches you how to live as though the best wine is yet to come. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Let marriages be filled with trust, realizing that where we fail to be trustworthy, Christ, who is our head, has proven perfectly trustworthy on our behalf. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, realizing that your calling is to serve and sacrifice for your bride so that she can be adorned by your love just as Christ came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, presenting his bride holy and blameless and in the splendor of his affection. We have so much to do right now in this life, learning what it means for the best wine yet to come, for the best wine to be saved for last. We have so much to do learning how God would have us live, how we would have lived, if this world and our own hearts had not been corrupted by sin. We have so much to do, looking forward to what God has promised us, and living now as though it were already ours. Indeed, we have it right now, by faith. The righteousness and goodness and holiness of Christ, you have it right now, by faith. Make it known in your lives. Live not as though you're on some downward spiral towards death and the grave. Live as though you are bound for glory. Love God and serve your neighbors, not seizing the day, but seizing eternity. Storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And one day, when the trumpet sounds and the angels descend to pull your bodies from their graves, you will open your eyes and you will not see your mortal flesh, but you will see your bodies glorified, incorruptible. You will see one another free from wear and the struggle of holding off decay. You will see one another free from sorrow and sin, and you will see Christ, who is the light of the world, shining eternally, having banished the darkness. You will see this sign fulfilled, and we will all say to him, you have indeed kept the best wine until now. May the peace of God which passes all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.